reflecting on the water as the sun shuts her eyes don't know why you're uncovered watch the tide rolling with the moonlight everything is silent on this weezy piano night you're listening to Missing Magnolias, Scarlett and Michelle here. We are excited today to have a guest. Um, he's a friend of mine as well as another podcast host, Welcome, uh, Siamese Sion, or to the podcast world as Sai Sion. Welcome, Sai. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Scarlett. <laughs> uh, tell our listeners really quickly about your podcast. Yes. Um, my podcast is called So You Want to Be a Better Ally, and it uses children's books to teach things like critical race theory to adults. Because, fun fact, most adults read on a kid's level. So, like, well, elementary school level, I should say. So instead of trying to explain the works of, like, W.E.B. Du Bois, um, Angela Davis, uh, Maya Angelou, Tony Morrison using like their own books. Um, I'm like taking what those books talked about and trying to filter it through books they can understand, like The Hungry Hungry Caterpillar, The Secret Garden. And yeah, so yeah, so that's me. That's what I do. And it's fun. I have a team of actors who enact the books for me, or I'm doing like some kind of skit or shenanigan to help make the point more clear for my audience. The target for my first season, which is, it's not on hiatus, I'm just working very slowly because I have two jobs that make money, and this is the third one, um, that does not make money. <laughs> but the goal of the first season that I had in mind was like planned out, it was so pretty, and it was about interrogating whiteness because whenever I say things like race theory and teaching that to other people and allyship, automatically people go to like, uh, characters of color and authors of color to learn from them. And I'm like, wait, whiteness is a thing too. And we're going to study that instead. <laughs> Which is why I'm incredibly grateful and flattered that Scarlett and Michelle have asked me to lend my dramatic senses to a quick reading here on the denizens of Nub City. So without further ado, mm -hmm. It is hard to imagine a town once desperate enough, quickly fading from the landscape where steamboats and factories along with their job opportunities. The major railroads for some reason did not stop in this small town of about 500 people, nestled within the Florida panhandle. But things took a turn when the sawmill closed, eliminating the heart of the workforce for this sparsely populated town. More rural areas saw cultivation and expansion. During the mid-20th century, we would see the rise of federal roads and military bases popping up along the South, thanks in part to the invention of air conditioning. Once native lands turned pioneer frontier before spring breaker paradise, the town of Vernon in the 1950s was becoming what must have looked like an industrial wasteland, with its residents fearing the revert back to swamp buses to forage for food. The residents of Vernon had survived the Great Wars and the Great Depression, and they were prepared to do whatever it takes, no matter the cost, no matter the loss. This is the story of Nub City. <laughs> How was that? 
Saimi very eloquently described what colloquial became known as Nub City. It was a small town in the Florida panhandle. And we will explain now why to you they coined the nickname Nub City. Michelle, would you like to comment? Yes, so I became interested in this when I started watching really bizarre documentaries, um, really in full force, I leaned in. And it started with The Wild and Wonderful Wife of West Virginia, and it was recommended somewhere that I check out this documentary called Vernon, Florida. And so I purchased a grainy copy of it, I watch it, and I'm, Oh, I finished watching it and I'm like, you know, kind of confused on what I experienced. And then I start reading about it and we find out that uh, it's the story of this, this nub city. So we have this small community where um, two thirds of all the lost limb accident claims in 1950s and 60s occur. So we've got an exponential amount of, of lost limb claims, insurance claims in this very small community. Right, and um, we're, I guess it was a result of um, just kind of industrialism, the transition, um, traditional jobs working in, you were seeing a change in the, the economy and the landscape. And you have this small town where the sawmill, I guess, was the primary like workforce and it closed down and you have this like generation that could remember World War, you know, the Great World Wars and the Great Depression. And, you know, I, I guess they, you know, were desperate enough to try to hold on to their a form of livelihood. And we're, no one's really sure how something like this started, whether it started with one individual and whether it was an accident or it was intentional. But either way, someone lost a limb and they found that they could benefit. And so what happened was kind of a trickle effect where they had many, many, many um, accident claims within Vernon as well as in the panhandle. And of course that eventually would raise suspicion because how many accidents have lost hands and feet and legs from quote unquote accidents could you have in a town of maybe like 500 people? So eventually, so some of the, <laughs> some of the accidents that were reported to the insurance agencies were like a man aiming for a hawk who mistook it for his hand, uh, <laughs> named his foot trying to protect his chickens, farmer who mistook his uh, foot for a squirrel. There was a um, loss of limbs involving a tractor and a loaded rifle. So try to picture how that, you know, was it the tractor? Was it a rifle? The, <laughs> the intersection. So those were, yeah, those were some of the, I guess, quote unquote claims. And eventually, um, you know, the insurance agencies wisened up and they sent a, um, an agent out to go and investigate. And he was listed in the New York Times in like 1972 when they did like a, a, a huge story about insurance fraud and Nub City was listed as one of the towns. And he had a really interesting quote that he put in, in his report on Vernon. It said, to sit in your car on a sweltering summer evening on the main street of Nub City, Watching anywhere from eight to a dozen cripples walking along the street gives the place a ghoulish, eerie atmosphere. And he mm. also said that uh, the main two pastimes in Vernon were watching hound dogs mating and self-mutilation for cash. So it's not maybe the nicest picture of Vernon, but he definitely lets us know how he feels. 
And yeah, I, um, there's so many things to go with here. I actually kind of <laughs> lost my train of thought. It's, when you read it back, it's, it's just unreal. But uh, was interesting. They were never able to, no one was ever convicted of fraud because no jury could be convinced that anyone would perform self-mutilation for cash. No one, no one could believe that anyone would willingly do this. So no one was convicted of the fraud. And, you know, people were making a lot of money, anywhere from five to five thousand to ten thousand dollars originally. And then one man, it was a farmer, I guess, walked away with a million before mm. the insurance agencies finally started catching up. And eventually they did and premiums became too high. But ultimately it led to um, insurance agencies no longer doing business with the panhandle. <laughs> you know, America, home of the free, brave, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, right? Is this is not shocking to me at all when we consider the things that people do when they're motivated by money and they have no legitimate means for success, right? Merton's been talking about it since the 50s when he mentioned uh, this pursuit for the American dream and innovation, right? If you cannot reach your American dream for economic success and traditional means, you either change your goals or you move to non-traditional legal means you become innovative and the people of Vernon obviously figured it out right obviously yeah. and I mean to me it's like actually whenever you do mention that Michelle it's like a jury now could definitely be convinced that they did this for money because we're all desperate like the 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 illusion of like the middle class is like deteriorated you know so I feel like that's I'm glad you said that because that just connected something I hadn't thought about, which is like, we're definitely like sacrificing our bodies at Amazon because one of my jobs is working at Amazon warehouse. And, you know, like today I had to walk away and I was like, I think I have tendinitis. And like, I'm listening to all the stories of the people around us at work. And there was, there was actually a girl, I call her sick day who was upset that she couldn't catch COVID again because like, then she could get some more days off. And like when one of our friends got hit in the head with a, like a, a 30 pound package to the point where she couldn't even put her head back, the girl I nicknamed Sick Day was like, oh man, I wish that could have been me. So I'm like, yeah, so I could definitely see in the 60s how that wouldn't be a thing. But nowadays, oh my God. And with millennials, do you know how many conversations you just kind of, you're, you're in and you're like, I wonder how much my kidney is going to cut. Like I know one dude who just sells his blood. So no, this isn't, this isn't too far-fetched now that you mentioned that good American dream. Thank you, Michelle. I need to write that down in my journal. I think that's traumatic. Continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I love that you equate nub city to the ins and outs of your life at amazon i think if i remember reading correctly I, I think the norm was to shoot yourself in the foot but can we just talk about the the people that were sawing off willingly like hands and feet i mean i hope we don't get to that point now but i mean we're in desperate times now we're you know with the emergence of ai and the loss of truck drivers we could possibly be in another stage where we see these little small towns that are dependent on a certain workforce and we have some sort of variation of this or something well i mean let's yeah. be honest many people turn if we're if we're still on the train of like merton's uh american dream people usually change their goals right so they're like i'm never going to be rich 
Well, some people say I'm never going to be happy. And so they are more likely to turn to drugs, you know, just like we saw with the wild, wonderful whites of West Virginia, this feeling of futurelessness that comes with residing in these incredibly impoverished communities right that have been pillaged if we think about Appalachia and coal mining you know you went your job you only had one job and you went there and it was going to kill you and so some people opted out of that and sometimes we turn um to, to drugs I mean look at that opioid epidemic that we have going on right now in the United States right like I guess I don't know we could argue you know what's worse drugs are shooting off your limbs that's a that's a not fun game yeah Preach it, preach it, sis, because uh, there's a book that I've been reading called Nomadland by um, Jessica Bruder that is about this, about the changing landscape of the American economy. And like, I forget the name of the town she mentions, but it's like in either Arizona or Nevada, where like the only thing they did was like make concrete make asphalt something something like that there was like it was like this company called empire and they only made one thing and then that one thing stopped and the whole of the town had to leave because like that's all they did so all of their investments were just in this in this like all their eggs were in one basket essentially so so yeah it's just it's it's kind of like this is a dystopia that i think is is like oncoming as like the middle class tries to except the fact that they're not anymore. What body part would you go without? <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, what would I cut off to get, I'm trying to think. What about, do you have an idea, Scarlett, Michelle? Wait. <laughs> I mean, it's such a horrible thing to think about. Maybe like an ear of Van Gogh. It's like, it's got like a artistic tradition. I have the other ear. I don't know. I don't know. Handmaid's Tale, one eye gone. Ooh, one eye. After just breaking my foot, I would not choose the foot because turns out you need them for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have to say, my friends make fun of me because I've always had an attraction to men with prosthetic legs. I've always thought like, ooh, look at that. He's resilient. He survived something. Surely he could handle me. That's my thinking. So um, uh, that's another reason why I was so very interested in Vernon, Florida. I have to flag that because um, what was the guy in the Olympics with the prosthetic leg? What, what about him, Michelle? He turned out to be a murderer. Where do you fall there? Thank God. I got the <laughs> bullet there. Or a knife, or a drug. You know, like you dodged a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Finger? What would you? What would you lose, Sai? If I could lose my left nostril, (laughs) I'm like I can only ever use one at a time anyway. But like, if it if I needed to sell something to stop functioning, it would be my left nostril. My appendix? Can we give that up? Yeah. Money? I don't know. Right. Oh, the appendix, and then like the wisdom teeth, like the things we have. The things we pay people to take away, I wish like we could just give for money, like to begin with, like, you know, you get to college. The first thing you do is you sell your wisdom teeth. (laughs) Like you do it so you can buy a book, a book, like 
just saying it's like the stuff that makes a great opera to me oh, yeah. like this is this is Titus Andronicus thank you thank you yes thank you thank you because I was about to say Shakespeare couldn't remember which one blue faces the movie Julia Taymor Julie Taymor yes okay Titus Andronicus okay thank you thank you this is Kaijin as hell Titus Andronicus <laughs> I like it. I, I would definitely pay to see Cajun Titus Andronicus. That would that would just be amazing. I don't know if I could because it's so bloody. And uh, I, even though with the true crime, I can't do the blood and the gore. I don't know about Michelle. Maybe that's her can fall into the horror genre as well. Yeah, she's shaking her head. Yeah. OK, <laughs> cool. Well, I think that's all the time we have today, guys. Anything else we want to close? A Nub City song of farewell or <laughs> nub city <laughs> nub city uh subsidies sent to my bank account nub city uh so pretty not as witty as the guy who came up with the documentary <laughs> the end Beautiful. Um, Fantastic. by the way i just like watched the clip of the town hall meeting and i was like <laughs> i was like, just dying <laughs> i was like let me watch this and get some inspiration for the nub city jingle and literally this old like he's captain hook but like has never worked out a day in his life i'm like now wait he looks like the dude from king of the hill like like if he had just gone rogue and started anyway yeah that was those are my closing comments is what a pity nub city <laughs> and i guess i feel like when we think we're having a bad day with our office jobs and the lull of everyday life keep in mind that like at least you aren't sitting in a hot car counting nubs could be worse it could be worse. Be worse. But when in doubt, everybody, mutilation. Limbs <laughs> <laughs> are your money makers. All right. Money makers, shaky money makers. Your money makers. <laughs> All right. Signing out. Bye. <laughs>